0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom, and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. And, uh, welcome everybody. The, uh, I have a subject, believe it or not, but I'm not attached to it at all. So if, if someone here wants to raise their hand and throw out a subject, I'll be happy to go there. Otherwise... I have something in mind. Just looking at y'all, just wondering if that's what you need. If my subject's what you need. And the answer is... Maybe. The maybe. You think I'm going to tell you? <laughs> so, so here's the deal. The There are... First of all, our physical world is the other end of an an incredible expansive process that lands with lands here. Um, we are like uh, you ever seen in like in those Chachka shops where they'll sell a flashlight attached to all these little fiber optic things for kids to buy, and then on the other end of the on the other end of those fiber optic little pixels, uh, little things. You can see like a color or maybe an image of something on the other end of all the little tiny... You know what I'm talking about? Those little fiber optic little kids toys? So we are... You don't know (laughs) what... It's basically a flashlight with all kinds of little fiber optic hairs coming out. But they're all... At the end of those hairs is an image of Mickey Mouse or whatever. So we are at the other end of a fiber optic system, so to speak. I'm just using it as an analogy that we're the other end of that. This physical world. And where is this place coming from? Where is this popping into existence from? A minute ago? You think a minute ago is creating now? I mean, they they have enough science to know that a minute ago is not creating now. You know, it. how is it, how does this moment endure? Where is it coming from? What's creating it? Where is it, where is it literally being made? So all of us would say, well, it was here a second ago, so I guess it's here now. Oh, yeah, well, what created it a second ago? Well, it was there a second before that. Things come from other things. Like, things come, like, there's cause and effect, but there's not enough in this moment that could cause the next moment. You know how much is involved, moment by moment? What's involved in making this moment? You need to realize the extreme complications. Sorry, the extreme, um, it's word I'm looking for, uh, complexities, that's what I meant. The extreme complexities involved in a moment and you think they're being made by the previous moment as if the previous moment has anything in it to create. Like, God creates the world, but the world doesn't create itself. So, if God created this moment, could this moment create the next one without God doing it? You understand that there's nothing in creation that keeps it going. It doesn't sustain itself. It looks like it sustains itself and surely every scientist thinks it does that it's sustaining itself, but we're not scientists and we don't have to think like that. And we can actually think about the complexity of this moment with all of its you know, incredible detail. What's making that, the previous moment? The previous moment is was its own outcome. <laughs> how could it be in charge of the next one? It, the previous moment was the effect of some other kind of cause. So how does it have the power to create the next one? The next moment. We spoke a bit about my non-starter class yesterday, which was the uh, was that that time is psychological. Time is psychological. There's no such thing, really. God didn't create time. God creates now. It's just that with enough nows, you got past, present, and future. But of course, the past is gone. It went through a shredder. The future hasn't happened yet. And when I say the future, I mean literally a second from now and a second ago for the past. They and they're all being created now and now and now. This is what's happening in creation. And what's causing the creation is is God cre- creating it. How? Well the answer is that there's an infinite light, which they like to talk about in physics called light energy. I don't know how much science y'all know, but but the but matter, this world's made of matter, it comes from light energy. That's a physics. Kabbalah says matter, this physical world, is the other end of a system that starts with light energy. And that light energy is not necessarily a physical light energy. It is an ethereal light energy and it's called the or-ein-sof, the eternal light. Or, light, ein-sof, without end, eternal. The eternal light. And that eternal light is a light that was created by God. God is not that light in its essence it could be indivisible with god but so with this but so with this meaning if if the actual eternal light is indivisible with god even though it's not god god's not light god creates light but since it's obviously indivisible with the creator because light is is whatever that light is it was one light and god is one god and they're indivisible but if you want to call that indivisible with god well so is this classroom indivisible with god Anyway, if I ever say anyway and take a deep breath, it's because everyone just looks puzzled. <coughs> Great, we have a question. Um, what's called? Is that why um, when, when you hear about these stories where people go into this trans state or whatever you call it, and, and like in a or they get into a crazy car crash... They, they see this bright white light. Like, a lot of, a lot of them explain it as this Oh, light. the NDE people, near-death yeah. experience people. They, experience they talk light. about seeing a light. Seeing a bright white light, and they just, just want to get closer to it. Mm. Is that what is a couple other I don't say? know. I don't know the answer to that. But it is true <laughs> that people who die, you know, on hospital tables or whatever and get b- brought back to life with the PJCs, the people jumper cables, they... They um, they do mention a light for sure that they're going towards a light Yeah, could be connected. I Don't know. I don't know. It's never happened to me Thank God uh, Anyone here had a near-death experience anyone here got was brain dead <laughs> Something like, I'm brain dead now <laughs> <Rabbi." So laughs> My brother has sent me a YouTube clip this morning of brain dead people being rep- being uh, um interviewed on news stations someone actually put them all together you know with like the one the lady said Ain- ain't nobody got time for that and stuff like that like they, <laughs> they had a whole clip of these people you know like one after the other so if you want me to forward it to you it's a total waste of time though actually <laughs> kind of skipped ahead um An eternal light creating matter. Now, physics doesn't know how light becomes matter. That's that's what the whole department in university is called theoretical physics, is trying to understand. How did light become matter? But we are discussing Kabbalah here. This is Judaism, and Judaism does discuss it, and that's what I'd like to share with you today in a very practical way. And that and that is how light becomes matter. That's all we're handling today, is how light becomes matter. Is that good? Is that clear? How does light become matter? Now, um, I always like to do the four-second proof of God just to make sure we're all starting in the same page. So whoever you think God is, he's not. That was yesterday's class. But just to do the four-second cla- second proof of God from the Rambam. Um, everyone just say the word nothing. nothing. A little louder, please. Nothing. You too, please. Me? Nothing. Yeah. No. Thank you. So, um, So... What does nothing make? If you have absolutely nothing, what does it make? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, we're just doing this real quick. So since nothing makes nothing, right? If you have nothing, what does it make? Okay. Before there was something, there was nothing. And since nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. Before there was something, there was nothing. What does nothing make? Nothing. Nothing. Well, since in this case, nothing made something, so it gets a title. Nothing gets a title, and we call it God. What does God mean? It's just a symbol humans use to describe something that's indescribable, which we call God. okay It's just a way that human beings can describe the indescribable is the word God. God doesn't mean anything. It's just the title you give to that which creates a world from absolute nothingness, which it obviously is not it itself is not a creation, so therefore it's not something. But since it has this ability to create the world, not only to create it, but to orchestrate it, and to run it, to keep a chaotic, expanding universe ordered. create An and, and expanding universe is, is used with the name of God that's Yud and He and Vav and And then ordered is the name Shin Dalid Yud, She, and then the word die that you have on the mezuzahs, which means that it's enough, She, that it's die enough that name of God is what keeps this place like can you imagine if God got rid of the word yud in creation you know what would happen in this classroom right now you ever seen a tornado like there's tremendous order going on right now even your own atoms in your body that are spitting around and creating you you know keeping you in <laughs> in your current shape right now so imagine God got rid of the ordering name of God what would happen in this classroom right now wouldn't be pretty it'd be like a blender we're in an, we're in an expanding universe here. And yet things are being also kept in order. At the same time, there's a, there's an order and there's a chaos. The name Yudin and Vavanhe is the chaos of the expanding universe. And the shame the name Shindalad Yud is the emulsifier, it's the catalyst that's inside the creation. Both names clearly necessary. Without Yudinhe and Vavnay there's no light shooting out. There's no expansion without the Shindal Yud. There'd be no order, so the whole world would just completely move out of con- it. Would just fly out of control. There would never have been a Earth. You wouldn't be here right now. Question is, and I'll leave this for some of you thinkers out there: Why is it on the mezuzah? Why do our mezuzahs have the Shindal Yud? What does that have? What does this ordering have to do with our doorposts? I'm not going to answer that right now. I'll let y'all think about that for a book. Now the infinite light has a problem. God has a problem. What's God's problem? God's problem is if he creates the world with an expanding infinite light. So whatever that light wherever that light goes is light. You get that? If you exp- if you create the world with light, so then whatever wherever the light goes, what do you get? You get a creation or you get light? You get light. You see God's problem here? God's problem is anything he makes, he is, so to speak. Or anything he makes with that light will be the light. If all you have is water and you spray it, what you get is a lot of water. If all you have is light, then you spray light. You get light everywhere. You never get a creation. So this is God's problem. Well, God had, uh, has uh, something good going for him, and that is that the light is light, and light works really well with um, when you put things in the way. If you put something in the way of light, it's, it really becomes something you can create with. So light is wonderful to create with, because you can actually put obscure the light and create something. Let me show you an example on this board here. Um, here we got this board, and uh, I'll pull it this way a little bit. And we got it more or less under this light. So watch what happens when I obscure the light. Do you see my shadow on the board? Can you guys see that? Sorry if I'm blocking it. Okay. So if you obscure the light, you can create images with light. So light's a wonderful material. And it is it is interesting that the physicists talk about light. But light's, light's good stuff. Because with light, you can then create. You can create an image. And that is exactly what God did. God obscured the light with, with um, what are called olamos, yeah? olamos which is from the word olam which means worlds but the word worlds also means to conceal so the word olam has three major meanings one is world one is concealment but it literally means that like if someone can't find their keys they'll say ne <speaking in Hebrew> my keys got lost it means, they've, meaning they've been concealed from me. The word olam means world, it means concealed, and it also means eternity. Which is kind of cool, because the world's finite, but since the world's only exists in the concealment of light, meaning the image of creation only exists through the concealment of light, so therefore the world itself has the sparks of eternity in it. Yeah. <coughs> Does the Olam mean as long as the world exists, not eternity, as long as this world exists? Uh, ask the question again. Olam in this wording, Le Olam. Le Olam, yeah. Actually means as long as this world exists, not I never heard that before. That's interesting. That's interesting. Le Olam. It's very, it's very... Uh, uh, what's, I don't it up. It's really... Uh, I've never heard that before, but it's very... Um, uh, a, what's the word when you're... when you're being uh, ex- extremely exacting. Literalist. It's very literalist. Think about the word le olam. It would be like for the life of the world. But uh, it's not translated that way usually. Usually it's translated as forever etern- eternal. Actually, it mean like as long as yeah, yeah. I mean, literally it should. I mean as long as the world lasts. Yeah, but it's never, tr- I've never seen it translated. It's the first time I've ever heard in my life. But I like it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, Now, we've got light, and then we've got obscuring the light with worlds. Now, what are these worlds? So the answer is they're parallel universes. The world's actually made of parallel realms, and there's multiple parallel realms. So let me show it to you like this. Let's start with a circle, and we're gonna put inside that circle, maybe uh, is blue working today? Got different colors to use here. So we'll start with a circle and um, we're gonna put inside that circle, we're gonna put inside that circle uh, a little man. Okay? that'll be you inside the circle. Hello, okay. Now that circle represents the expanding universe and uh, you know what, I should make it bigger. So the circle represents the expanding universe. inside the circle, represents like us inside here, and, um, and then we've got the infinite, which we'll use green for the infinite, that's not dark enough, we'll use blue for the infinite as well, and that is what surrounds the circle, that which is beyond the finite. Okay, so we got the finite, and then we got beyond the finite. Space and time, limited by space and time, finite, unlimited by space and time, outside the finite. Now, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? Everyone take a moment think about the picture on there. I'll give you some definitions. Ready for some definitions? So outside the circle, which we call the infinite, means unlimited by time and space. Inside the circle means limited by time and space. Outside the circle, infinite, unlimited by time and space. What's wrong with the picture? The infinite is being limited by the finite. Excellent. Who said that? Josh. Excellent. So it looks like the infinite, which, you know, I'm just saving Asia Taurus, Inc. I could keep going wider and wider, but it looks like it's being limited by the finite. You ever thought about it that way? You ever thought about how the finite limits the infinite? But it doesn't make any sense because if it's truly limited, sorry, if it's truly infinite, it should be what? Well, unlimited. Yet here we have a situation where it looks limited. Now, I just want to bring up something else parenthetically for a moment. And that is that, that monotheistic traditions are what I like to call soft core monotheists. Soft core monotheism is the belief in one God. Meaning you believe our world exists. And there's out there one God. That's soft core monotheism. There's a great picture of soft core monotheism. It's the belief in one God. I believe this world exists and I believe that there's a one God out there making it exist, I guess. That's what's soft core monotheism. That would be like Islam, all the Christian traditions. They're generally soft core monotheists. Judaism is not a soft core monotheist tradition. Judaism is a... Hardcore monotheist tradition. And, and, uh, so there's softcore monotheists and hardcore monotheists. Hardcore monotheists are not the belief that there's one God. In fact, nowhere in our Torah says there's one God. Nowhere. In all of Tanakh, and all of everything, it never says there's one God. Rather, it says that that God out there is actually one in here. That That God is one. It is absolute oneness. It's not the, uh, now, obviously, if it's absolutely one, there's only one of it. That's that's like, a f- it includes, meaning hardcore monism includes core monism. We also believe in one God. But that's not what Judaism is. Judaism is the belief that that God is one. Which means if, if you ain't got no dough but 50 shekel, and someone comes to your door asking for tzedakah, you obviously don't have to give them any money because you only got 50 shekels. But it might be a good idea to give him 10 of it. Why not? It's like God's sending you this person. So like, it's part of the oneness. Now, somehow this person showed up by my door. And and you don't have to. No one's expecting someone with only 50 shekels to their name to be given 10 shekels away. But it might be very hardcore monotheist to do it. I mean, how many of you raise your hands if when things happen to you throughout your day that you sometimes say, wow, what's, what's God showing me? Anyone ever have that happen, okay? That's, a, that's an experience of hardcore monotheists. It's like, oh, what's God, what's God like taking the, the play-doh of creation and like forming it into this circumstance for me? Because it's all ultimately God, everything's made of God. Anyway, so uh, uh, Josh, where should I be putting the squiggly lines? Where do they also belong? Also inside. So here we go, you ready everybody? Okay, you can uh, hit the top switch of the lights there, the lower panel. Take that, hit that top switch please, top switch here. Take your protein pill and put your helmet on. And here you have what is ultimately what's called hardcore monotheism. Okay. This is hardcore monotheism. Let me turn it back on. Hardcore monotheism is the belief that God is one; that that's all that there is; that there's nothing else. There's really only God. And now, all of a sudden, everything should start making sense in the, of the commandments of the Torah. Suddenly, the commandments make sense. If you, if you, if this is your view of God, everything starts making sense. For example. Do um, you want me to bring the circle back? I can bring this. I'll bring you back, too. This is more what it looks like. Okay? And uh, here's you. Okay? This is more what it looks like. It's really everything's of God. and But now, suddenly, everything makes sense. Like, for example, you can name any commandment. We mentioned Sadaka before, is if it's all God, so then, and this person's at my door, I guess some of mine's supposed to go to some of him. You know, like, it's all, how did I get it anyway? The only reason I got it was someone else gave it to me for whatever service I rendered. And and now it's, this person's come, and maybe it's supposed to go to them, too. And so, um, when it comes to uh, Shema Yisrael... So what am I doing with my right hand? I'm covering my eyes. Why? Because I don't want to see the circle when I'm saying the truth. The truth is it's all God. It's one. God is one. Not that there's one of them, but Shema Yisrael, Shem lokeh, Shem He is one. Well, I don't want to see the two when I'm saying the one. So I cover my eyes. So I see the nothing. Because when you see nothing, how many nothings are there? When you see nothing, how many nothings are there? One. Nothing is one. You ever thought about that? Nothing is one. Can you have two nothings? Multiply nothing by 30, what do you get? Nothing. So it's absolute oneness. Nothing is oneness. Now, the, anyway, the uh, but every commandment sits is, represent the four directions of the circle. The circle's got north, south, east, west. And I'm wearing a four-corner garment <laughs> representing north, south, east, west, which, you know, is the matrix, the physical world, which can suck you in and make you make stupid moves. And so we see our sitsis, and this is for men, because women don't make stupid moves. Although I think since feminism, women should be wearing sitsis. Not from a feminist perspective. I mean, I know there are plenty of women wearing them who are feminists. They're wearing them for the wrong reason. They're wearing them because they want to be like men who get to wear sitsis. For men, it, the reason we wear sitsis is because we're deeply handicapped. We have full amnesia that we're married. (laughs) Especially on, like, business trips to Las Vegas. (laughs) All you can drink for free. (laughs) You know, so men have sitsas, and I believe, sadly, as a result of feminism, women should be wearing sitsas as well. They can can and do get just as confused as men used to. And... uh, and then um, um, but every commandment breaks down to that circle circumcision what's circumcision at one point is the commandment at one point does someone have a mitzvah of circumcision so it's a trick question I knew you guys were going to say eight days and the answer is as soon as you have your first sexual thought now you're in the covenant with God that's as soon as you have your first sexual thought is when the covenant of circumcision begins. It doesn't begin for eight days. Eight days is when you cut the skin. But the covenant, covenants have to be between people who have, or God and people that have, are cognizant. Eight days, you're, eight days can't be in covenants for anything. Covenant comes from cognizant people. And a cognizant person's covenant with God only begins when they have their first sexual thought. And they express that sexual thought eventually with their spouse, who they were under a chuppah with, with a ketuba that protects her, that she's not going to be thrown to the dogs when he's through with her. Puts a man under the, under the, uh, he's under the gun when he finally gets to express his covenant with God through the circumcision sexually. He's got a big, giant gun to his head called a ketuba which protects a woman from being thrown to the walls, which is what men do when women say yes. But it's all back to the circle. that's, that's, That's the overdrawn back into the matrix of the circle. But someone who's a true monotheist realizes that that thing that pulls me, that thing that lures me, is part of God as well, and it's only a test. And it's not a test that I'm supposed to fail, but rather a test I'm supposed to pass, because reward is only given to those who struggle and win. In other words, the part of us that's pulled to the dark side, towards the circle, so to speak, the part of us that's pulled there is the source of reward for you having visited this earth why would you be rewarded without it? I mean, if, if if you just serve God, as a matter of fact, like, robotically, because God was so in your face or something, so then there would be no reward for you having come to earth. And when I use the word reward, don't anyone, please don't get confused with, like, a point system, like, we're here gaining points. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that you have come from a soul world, that the only way to better your situation in a soul world would be using a body. Well, the body has its own plans, and, and so using a body is a pretty heavy liability. And so they, And if you can somehow bolster your strength above the body's pull, the opposite direction, so then when you die, you can now be in a better space in the world of souls. That's the only reason you're here. You're not here for any other reason. You're really only here to better your situation in an eternal world. Now, if you think you've been banished from that world, you should know that 99.9% of you is in that world even right now. Because the part of you that's listening to me right now with this body sitting in this classroom or watching this live or watching this on screen, that part of you that you've been calling you is actually 0.01% of who you actually are as we've learned Kabbalistically, that the soul is made of five parts, and all five parts besides the last 0.01 part is, is already in the soul world. There's a part called the Yechida, then there's the Chaya. Each one of these has gradations, so there's the Yechida, there's the Chaya, there's the Neshama, there's the Ruach, there's the Nefesh, they're all in the soul world, meaning you are, no offense, you are mostly dead. I mean, you all look marvelous today, but you're mostly dead, okay? Your body is is not what makes you alive. It's the soul in the body that makes you living. That's why you're, like, right now, breathing right now. is because the soul is vivifying your body. But the part of, that's the conscious you that's listening to me right now, that conscious you that's listening to me right now, is not this part of the nephesh, but it's actually the very bottom of the nephesh. Like, like if you can see on my pinky, you can't see from there, but there's a little, you know, the little white part at the bottom? Hey, it's cut my nails, but the white part at the bottom, that little thin white part, that's the conscious you. And your neurons, which are not you, that's part of your body, your neurons will get buried and be eaten by God knows what. Your neurons are reporting to that little part of you. Meaning your neurons are reporting to that. It is not physical. It's the interface. It's the USB cable between all those five levels of soul get their USB cable interface to your body via the neurons. And they plug in perfectly like a little USB cable. Boom. That bottom of the netfish plugs in to your brain and your brain reports to it. But you are not your brain. I know you've all been hijacked by your brain. And so have I. I mean, that's why we always start a day with meditation. The Rambam says that if you didn't start your day with an hour of meditation before you prayed, then you didn't pray. (coughs) You said a bunch of words, but you didn't pray. And the reason we always start with meditation is we have to get to first conscious that we're conscious. Like even right now, you're all right now suddenly getting conscious to being conscious. Well, that's you. That's the actual you. That's the eternal you. The person that's conscious of being conscious. And now suddenly your neurons are doing their real job, and that's to report to you, not to hijack you, not to to kidnap you from your life. A Jew, by the way, is supposed to live like this always. We're supposed to always be in this pure conscious state, and embodied in a body and doing mitzvahs throughout the day. That's the Jews' job. You know, we're not supposed to be, like, showed up by a bunch of Buddhists. You know, it's embarrassing. Like, I'm truly humiliated uh, for our people when I meet a, a, you know, a long-term meditator who's, you know, like achieved conscious, you know, that he can be conscious throughout the day as opposed to just being hijacked by the neurons plan. And believe me, they have lots of plans for you. The, uh, when, when I meet that conscious person, especially when they start bringing up Judaism and Jews being unconscious and, and I'm just like, our tribe needs, needs a major upgrade. You know, we've all got to bump up our game in a big way. Anyway, so every, everyone should be doing at least a couple minutes meditation in the morning. Just a little station identification. Give yourself a chance. Give yourself your day a chance. Um, back to back to us. Uh, I feel like someone wanted to say something. But I oh yeah, you did. Yeah. So when someone has like a yeah, care of them Yeah. What's that? That is uh, that is the body. It's the patterns that have been locked into your, your psychology. Um, it's usually it's usually can be if you fault if you go down that rabbit hole, it usually comes down to a neglect in childhood. That there was some kind of a neglect going on. Disconnected or something to say, go pray or go. Yeah, that's people who don't know how to get you back to your soul. So it's very easy to just give a prescription of you haven't prayed enough. <laughs> like, go say more psalms or something, you know. Go put on tefillin, that'll help, you know. the um, It's just an easy formula to get people off your back, get them you off their back. Uh, but you see you probably did it and it didn't work. Anyway, you have to go down the rabbit hole and see, because we can't help but see the whole world through the eyes of our life experience. And if life experience had you in some hard times, and especially most important is your key caretakers. Key caretakers, i.e. mother and father, are, we can't help but have that be our model for our relationship with God. And how can you have anything else? That's just the way it's going to go, and so I have to go down the rabbit hole and heal up wherever my key caretaking, because God is the key caretaker. That is God. That is the key caretaker. And I need to go down my rabbit hole and see where I wasn't held, and then I'll start to. It'll give con. It'll give meaning to how much I don't feel held by God now, and. Uh, when I heal it out, which really means cry it out, like I got to like be in the right environment and under the right conditions and the set and setting have to be just right for me and and do that full-on convulsive primal cry from like my deepest guts. Anyone ever had one of those? You ever had one of those? Raise your hand. Anyone here had one of those? Okay, And how do you feel after that, at least for, if you, if for a while? How do you feel? Connected. Because connected. if you can get out all the toxins, the emotional toxins of the, whatever was missing in the ingredients of your upbringing, if you can get those toxins out, so then you're, you get connected. Now, there's many ways of doing that, and this class is not dedicated to the, that subject but I happen to be a practitioner of such work. And the problem uh, is certain things have to come at certain times. Yeah, then that's... And if you miss the timing... Like, what do you mean? Well, certain things have to be when you're 5 years old, so when you're 10 years old. Yeah. You can't bring it to the later stage because it should have been... Right, so there are techniques. There are techniques and uh, uh, ways of uh, accessing those times and healing those times. There are techniques to do that. Some of them are illegal. Now, some of them are illegal. Because in the 1960s, people chose to dance while under the influence of those things. And and protest the Vietnam War. Because suddenly killing seemed like a really bad idea to the people who were on such chemicals. They just came out of that experience saying... I don't think I want to go kill a bunch of Vietnamese people. And, uh, but meanwhile, they were holding a draft card that was sending them off to kill a bunch of Vietnamese people. And they just, I'm not going. Hell no, we won't go. And so Nixon signed a paper that your internal freedom is no longer your freedom. Because if you think about it, like your internal, you should be internally free. Meaning, you know, whatever you want happening on the inside of your body or in the psychology or anything, should be completely and one hundred percent your right. It's your body. It's your internal freedom. And but we've all been like brainwashed into brainwashed by major government programs and stuff throughout the Western society, telling us that somehow, somehow, people in government are in charge of our. Like, what's, what, what's in our bloodstream? You know, it's just like, how did they pull that off? And I bet you when they first started that, they were like, how are we going to pull this off? <laughs> like, how, we're going to tell them what they can drink? You know, like, how's that going to be? But they did it with alcohol for a while. Okay, back to us. Now, the... This... Situation explains now all of Judaism, no matter what commandment you can think of, you will find it here, in that it's meant to, if it's a negative commandment, thou shalt not, it's to make sure that this physical world, or the circle, doesn't get augmented and grow more powerful. And if it's a positive commandment, it's there to, like, give you, like in a video game, like you eat the right, you know, whatever energy thing, and and now you're like able to like really connect out from in there. That's a positive commitment. Now, how that light gets obscured is like this. I'm going to make the middle circle now much wider. And we're going to have now four stages. There's four stages here. And what we have here is the outer stage is called, that's the part that's emanating the light in. Okay, so that's called the world of emanation. Then we have a intermittent stage here, which is called, um, Creation. But I'm using... I'm going to go to Hebrew now because creation is not going to mean anything to you guys. So it's called Beria. Okay? Then we have another stage which is much more intermittent which is called Yitzira. By the way, the Hebrew for this word is uh, Atzilut. Okay? So we have emanation. That's beyond. Then we have Bariya. Then we have Yitzia, And we live in the final realm, which is called Asiyah, which is right here. That's this inner point here. We live in the world of Asiya. So, and, and these all have levels too, which should already remind you, hmm, that's interesting because the soul also had levels. And just like there are five levels of the soul, there are five levels realms. I didn't mention that the that there's a realm before this realm, but it's not something we know a lot about. But there is another realm. It's called Adam Kadmon. So there's Adam Kadmon, then there's Atzilut, Beriah, Yetzirah, and we live in the very, very bottom of the barrel, like the dregs. This physical world is actually the dregs of uh, like the bottom of the barrel of Asiyah. That's where we are, in the very bottom of Asiyah. Which is, the, I just want to like pull out the lens for a moment and mention before that there are physics departments all around the world in universities that are trying to study how light becomes matter it's called theoretical physics they're, exp- they're trying to discover how light becomes matter and meanwhile all they have to do is knock on the door of their local Kabbalist because we for thousands of years have had this this teaching of light becoming matter now of course they would say well how do you know you're right And the answer is that that I can't answer that in one foot right this second. But but I mean, just check if you check out the whole big picture of everything we are as a nation, as the tribe of Israel, like our tribe. If you check out the tribe of Israel, see like we're pretty good at things. We seem to know what we're doing. All the prophecies about it come true. You know, all the way down history, God—God, God, who's the source of prophecy—is batting a thousand on our history. Like exactly what was said about us happened, would happen, happened. Um, we also have information about things that only science gets to figure out later. Many things, uh, including the lunar cycle. Um, NASA spent some five million five years and however many million dollars trying to figure out the exact decimal point of the lunar calendar, and they actually missed it by a couple decimal points and recorrected and got to our number. Um, the, uh, the fact that you don't know a fetus as a male or a female till the 40th day, we've known Kabbalistically for thousands of years that if you really, really want a girl, you're only allowed to pray up to 40 days because you're not allowed to pray for something that's a done deal. You understand. You're not allowed to pray if you're following a fire engine up your street. You're not allowed to pray. It's not your house. You understand. He's already on his way to a done deal, so you're not allowed to pray for done deals. And it turns out science once again corroborates that that um, that the that the fetus is only you can only know the gender of a fetus on the fortieth day. Um, the Kabbalists teach us that. The people of China are descendants of Noah's son. This week's parsha, is Noah. Noah, so that the, the people of China, because who are those people? You know, like, we know Yafet is the Europeans. We know the shame is the Semites. So then, and we know Ham is the you know all the African areas and stuff. So who are the Chinese? So it says the Kabbalists that the Chinese in that area of the world are all from Ham. They don't look like Africans to me, but years later, once they understood DNA and were able to follow DNA patterns throughout the, how people, uh, uh, how people, what's the word, when, uh, migrate, They're, you know, they can check migration of populations based on DNA, so they now trace them back, Chinese people are traced back to North Africa, but we've only known that for about 20 years. I asked that question actually 27 years ago in a class on Noah, 27 years ago. And uh, I was a long-haired hippie freak at the time. And, uh, and, they, uh, and they answered me that they're from Ham. The rabbi answered me that they're from Ham. Seven years later, the, they got conclusive tests and DNA migration records that, that they're actually from North Africa. Anyway, but we see this happening all the time. And and when the Jews tell you that this whole world's made of light energy and the physics t- physicists tell you the world's made of light energy <laughs> and the Jews tell you that it's actually the light's being occulted through realms to ultimately get to our physical realm. So we probably know what we're talking about. But no greater pedigree would you ever need than to meet an actual Kabbalist. <coughs> it's not possible to meet an actual Kabbalist today, but you can meet their students, and they're pretty heavy duty. You know, my rap, my teacher alone, who is a, the disciple of a, one of the Kabbalists, he's, my teacher alone, is someone who's who for the last 40 years has only slept two hours a day, not including Thursday nights and Shabbos night when he doesn't sleep at all. And he only eats the exact amount of food that keeps his body alive. And he lives in the exact unfolding of the moment at all times. He doesn't even know that the word Atah comes after the word Baruch. He, he needs a prayer book in front of him so that he can say Atah, or even that he can say Baruch. He's a massive, massive scholar. All that time is spent studying the depths of reality. And he, but he, he if he, the fact that we call him Rebbe for him is an, a hum- humiliating. It's an embarrassment. If we only knew his teacher, we would never call him Rebbe. That's what he says. Now, I'm sure his Rebbe would have said the same thing too. So when these people tell you about the reality of the universe, so. But there's another corroborating fact, and that is that the mystical traditions of, of uh, meaning true mystical traditions that you can find in jungles and in aboriginal people, almost always mirror exactly with the Kabbalistic tradition, just without all the detail. We have tons of detail, we're Jews. You know? <laughs> like, we got lots of detail. But, um, but when, you, when you tour the indigenous cultures and you get to meet their leaders, which are always, who are the leaders? Leaders are the ones with the most knowledge of the secrets of reality. That's who the leaders are. And who was before the state of Israel, who was the leader of the Jewish people? Whoever knew the most secrets of the universe. Meaning before 1948, the leader of the Jews was whoever knew the most secrets of the universe. That was the leader. Meaning if you were in Russia, and the leader of that area wanted the Jews to X, Y, or Z, they had to call the leader. And the leader, who would be this most spiritual person you ever met in your life. Like, if you guys met, if you if that person walked in this room right now, all of us would fall on our faces spontaneously. We'd all just fall on our faces convulsively, spontaneously, just in the presence of a rabbi who was the, the highest, most spiritual you in the generation you don't fall on your face i've seen this happen by the way i've seen people spontaneously fall on their face i'd never believe this by the way because it, it happens to be true like there's a saying that if you saw him you'd fall on your face like if the rambam walked in here we'd all spontaneously fall on our faces convulsively in front of him like there could be a person of that power so i always thought it was just a saying but i literally was walking with two of the holiest people in all of jerusalem and we went to a synagogue in the north, we were on a road trip, and, and I was helping them, they were elderly, and they were dressed in gorgeous robes, and like, really, like, their eyes are like lights shining to heaven, and, and I was walking them, and we came to a big hall where the, the Rabbi uh, Meir Balinese is buried, one of the great sages is buried there, And it's a big hall when you walk in, you know, the southern entrance to it. There's a big hall there. And all these people are are in there. Some were studying, some were talking, some were learning, some were eating, some were drinking. And they all all just kind of looked up spontaneously. I'm standing between these two people that are like, whoa. Like the fact that I got to even be here, you know, 25 years ago to be with such people. They don't exist anymore. That's a generation that's gone, never to come back. And uh, anyway, I stood with them and the entire room falls on their faces spontaneously, falls flat on their faces, legs out, arms out, flat on their face. They weren't bowing to them. They were going through some spontaneous combustion that happened to them. I watched it with my own eyes. It was amazing. Every single person, no exceptions. It wasn't like one guy was standing there going, what happened? You know, everybody was flat on the ground. Amazing. Yeah. Before, like you said, we live in the level of Asiyah, well, but don't we live in also in the level of Asia, Just we don't make contact with it. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was saying. You're already there. You just don't see it. This is why. This is why your brain is is blocking you from from this experience. And why again we got to meditate every day so we can at least put our brain in check so the conscious us has some access beyond the physical. now um, it's already uh, all our classes are going really late today we only got started at 4.15 so I did it too it's now 4.12 we're way over time Um, this obviously needs a lot more fleshing out I'm happy to do it tomorrow if you guys like it because we got so much application we haven't applied anything yet and we haven't even finished explaining it yet but the application of it is amazing and every day in Judaism we're actually climbing the worlds Shacharit is the climbing of those worlds nats korbonot Zimra, shkumbirkat kreshma 18 okay we're climbing up these worlds in kaddish think of the word kaddish yahesh me raba between each section of prayer we say yahesh me raba may his name be great le ulomel maya le olam maya the word the kaddish is an escalator between worlds that we actually go from world to world And then after we finish the prayers, we come back down with Kaddish between each one. Okay, everyone, blessing you with an amazing, gorgeous day. Um, Rabbi Neckermeyer is next. He teaches the class called the Seven Questions, and it's one of Torah's most popular classes. Everyone really loves the class. If you've never heard it before, it's worth hearing it once, because people tend to keep coming when they've heard it once. Um, If you need the bathroom, this is your chance to take a little break and come right back to hear Rabbi Neckermeyer's class. Thank you very much. So everybody need a break. Please take now. But I'm going to start on the questions. As soon as we have the seven questions, then I'm going to start the concert. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.